love. It says in his word that God himself is love. This is an element that will bring us into our ordained destiny for you and me in the church. To know God and his love and his purpose. And his purpose is for you and I to be conformed to his image. That's right out of Romans chapter 8. But love requires faith. It's not easy to love sometimes. If you shake my hand, give me a hug, you're easy to love. But if you disagree with me, it's a little bit more difficult to love. But God doesn't say there are exceptions to the rule. And love does require faith. In Galatians 5, 6, in the Message Bible, it says, For in Christ neither our most conscientious religion nor disregard of religion amounts to anything. But what matters is something far more interior, faith expressed in love. God is love. That's 1 John 4, 16. Jesus said in John 13, 34, 35, I give you a new commandment that you ought to love one another as I have loved you. By this all men will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. A commandment is not a suggestion. It's a commandment. You know, so often we say, well, Jesus is my Savior and Lord. Is he really our Lord? The scribes even tested Jesus and asked him, what are the two greatest commandments? And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and he said, the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if we are not loving one another, we're not loving God. Just recently, um, I had a discussion with my wife, and uh, it had to do with uh, a breach in my or our relationship with some people. And I'm nice to them, I respect them, I associate with them, but you know, it's like a marriage. Like for Jerry and I, if we have a conflict or disagreement, I would do like most people and think that time will take care of it. I'll change the subject, but never deal with the issue between Jerry and I. And when that happens, that creates a wall, and you can only get so close. And that's the same thing in a friendship. In order to be real, you have to deal with the issues between you. And so we're, we're talking about this. Well, just a little, my technique in dealing with that early in my marriage was to talk about other people's problems. I thought if anything that we have in common, we can talk about other people's problems. <laughs> we have something in common. But we never deal with the issue between us. But anyway, we're talking about this, and Jerry says to me, um, well, you need to love them more. 
And I said, I don't want to. Now, Jerry, if you know my wife, she has a great smile. She, she has a smile that makes people feel comfortable. But anyway, when I said, I don't know, she gets on the edge of the sofa where she's sitting, and she uses a multi-sensory technique. She didn't take the glasses off. She said, that's the problem. Women are very good at speaking through their eyes. She used body language. She said, That's the problem. And she verbally said something. I got it. I didn't have much to say because I know that was the truth. So the next morning, I'm reading a devotional by C.S. Lewis, and it's not typically the devotion that I read. And on this particular date, the theme is the rule of love. C.S. Lewis says, the rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. There is indeed one exception. If you do him a good turn not to please God and obey the law of charity, but to show him what a fine, forgiving chap you are, and to put him in your debt and then sit down to wait for his gratitude, you will probably be disappointed. People are not fools. They have a very quick eye for everything like showing off or patronizing. But whenever we do good to another self, just because it is a self, made like us by God and desiring its own happiness as we desire ours, we shall have learned to love it a little more or at least to dislike it less. Now, God was saying, if you didn't hear your wife, I'm just going to confirm what she was saying. Sometimes you have to love people more by your behavior. You know, if you do that, it'll affect your attitude and it'll affect your behavior. If you dislike somebody and you continue to dis dislike somebody, it'll affect your attitude and it'll affect your behavior. And it won't do you any good. Fathers, I have a suggestion. Teach your sons to read their mother's eyes. It'll be an invaluable asset to them when they are married to a woman. <laughs> First Corinthians, chapter 13. This is the love chapter. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. While I was reading that, I was thinking about 
I think it's Matthew 25, where Jesus is talking about when he comes back with the angels, he will separate nations and people into two categories, sheep and goats. And for sheep, it's those people who fed those who were hungry, who gave water to those who were thirsty, who visited those in prison and visited those who were sick and clothed the naked. And Jesus will say, to the, to, to the extent that you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And the goats, of course, it was just the opposite. And you know what? We would do those things if we're truly loving the Lord and loving people as he wants us to love them. But you're not, you're not always there. How often do you feed the poor? How often do you clothe the naked? How often do you visit those who are in prison? You cannot bear fruit where you are not planted. But you can bear fruit where you are planted. And that's where you are. And how you can do that is by loving people. Love is patient. When I am going to work in the morning, on the turnpike, if you will, and it's 45 miles per hour, not everybody drives that speed limit. I do, plus one or two more. And I come across somebody that's going 30, and I come up on their bumper, and God says, back off. Well, I don't want to. He said, that's the problem. <laughs> but if I back off because of the Lord, that person doesn't know it, but I'm loving him. Love is patient. Right now, it's a very busy time of the year for me. I'm very much involved with health insurance and other things. And I can have several calls coming in at one time. I can have appointments. I'm on the internet uploading online applications. And somebody will come and sit down. And the Lord will say, listen. Take your hands off the keys. Sit back and listen. And what that person doesn't know is because I'm being kind to him or her, I'm loving them. I think one of the biggest problems that people have, especially in the church, is jealousy. You would like to be. This is Joyce Myers. You want to be me? Well, then you have to go through the training that I went through. You cannot bear fruit where you're not planted. God has an ordained purpose for each of us, and we need to bear fruit where he's planted us. One of my biggest issues is being provoked or taken into account a wrong suffered. Sometimes it's called unforgiveness. Sometimes it's called offense. Jerry and I had left Sioux Falls, South Dakota one morning. It was dark. We were on our way to Little Rock. It's dark, and I'm, I'm waking up. It's 6.30. It's 70 miles per hour. Jerry likes the cruise on. I don't necessarily do. She pushes the cruise when I'm driving. Right away, I hear the Lord saying, don't be provoked. 
and I didn't process, process it as quickly as I should have, and it cost me. You know, the biggest problem we all have is pride. Would we really be provoked or take into account a wrong suffered 90% of the time? Probably not. And I've said this before. God does orchestrate our circumstances, and he deliberately puts people in our lives who irritate us. And it's to show us who we really are. I fail a lot at that. When people have disagreements, when they don't agree with me, immediately my first reaction is, I think the worst in them. Scripture says that we believe the best in people. But if you have a disagreement with somebody, you start thinking the worst about them. You don't believe the best in them, that maybe, maybe they might be right. Maybe their intentions are the best for me. Do we really believe the best in people? Again, you know, if you believe the worst in people, it's going to affect your attitude, it's going to affect your behavior. And what good is that? But if you believe the best in them, you are loving them, and it, it affects you in a positive way. Some people say, well, I've always been like that. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have the choice. Is it 2 Corinthians 3.17? It says the, the Lord, where the Lord is, we have the spirit of liberty. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you have the liberty to make the right choice. Can you imagine Joyce Meyer saying, well, I've always been that way? She says she's been raped approximately 200 times. Her first marriage was a disaster. Can you imagine her saying, I am not going to change my attitude towards men. I have a reason to be angry. But her ministry really is all about joy. She wouldn't be where she is today if she had the attitude, well, I've always been that way. She's made the right choices in her life. Does she still make mistakes? Yes. But she's making the right choices in that walk with the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8, there's a marvelous scripture that says that love never fails. Love never fails. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my daughter and my grandson, four years old, and I were at Caribou Coffee. And the four-year-old was drinking a smoothie or whatever, and my daughter and I were having our coffee. And this four-year-old was born premature. It's just a little over three pounds when he was born. And, and, and in terms of, I don't know, communication or whatever, sometimes he would get very frustrated and act out. <clears throat> and over the past year, he's, he's really made a great improvement. He's, he's a very smart kid. And I hadn't seen a lot of that until we were in Caribou. And I don't know, he's trying to communicate something or he wanted something. And he started kind of lashing out. And, uh, you know, I'm a behaviorist. What that means is if you do good, I'll reward you. 
If you do something negative, there's going to be some negative consequences. But it's not that simple. Love never fails. My daughter gently put her one hand on one side of his cheek and the other hand on the other cheek and started blowing into his ears and kissing his cheeks. And right away his eyes lit up and everything was okay, Mom. Love never fails. My next question is, is what dominates your atmosphere? In Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, Rahab is talking to the two spies from Israel. And she says to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. In Joshua 5.1, Now it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. What dominates your atmosphere? Where the Lord has planted you. What dominates your atmosphere? The greatest challenge in my life has been a battle with situational fear. Where somebody, as I call it, gets their hook in me. In the natural realm, they're not that impressive physically. But there's something that's happening where they've got their hook in me. That produces fear. And they know it, and they use manipulation, they use passive-aggressive behavior, and they use intimidation. One day I asked the Lord, deliver me from this, and he said, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What I've learned is 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. If there's one thing that people struggle with, it's fear. I had to learn that the hard way. When I learn to love people in those situations, it sets me free to be who God intended me to be and gives me peace. Fear is cast out by perfect love, the love of God in me. Second thing I've learned is fear is ineffective or is effective only when I try to defend myself or preserve myself. That means I want to prove that I'm right and you're wrong, no matter what the cost. Trying to maybe protect my self-esteem. I don't know. But Jesus said this in Matthew 9, whoever wishes to, to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. You know, God said that his ways are not our ways, nor our thoughts his thoughts. The quicker we learn that, the more we're going to have his nature flowing through us. The third thing I learned is prayer doesn't necessarily change other people. Prayer changes me. Prayer is the vehicle that God has designed for us to communicate and for me to become more like him. Because who you hang around with determines who you become. 
I'm changed, I allow God's nature to be evident in me, then my change affects other people who are around me and the spiritual atmosphere. Love changes the atmosphere around me. I am responsible for where he has planted me. If we use the world's ways, and you've done it, I do it, the atmosphere doesn't change. And we get so upset about what's happening in the United States. Did you know that the kingdom of God lasts forever? The United States isn't going to. You are on the winning side. The parable of the sower. The third example is where the seed was sown amongst weeds. And Jesus said, it's the worries of the world that choke the word. If we allow the worries of the world to choke the word, we're not going to have influence in the atmosphere where he has planted us. The third thing, when the battle is really raining, is unity. In the conquest of Jericho, in Joshua 6, verses 2 through 4, God is telling Joshua basically this. For the first six days, I want you and Israel to walk around the walls of Jericho once. On the seventh day, I want you to walk around it seven times and then I want the priests to blow the trumpets, and I want all Israel to shout. What I find fascinating about this is what Joshua told the people in uh, chapter 6, verse 10. But Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout, nor let your voice be heard, nor let a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I tell you, Shout then you shall shout. Now, there were hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. And he said, I don't want a peep coming out of your mouth. Can you imagine? Can you imagine people by the thousands walking around that city and not saying a word until it was time for the trumpets to blow and for the people to shout? I'm sure the shouting was loud because they had not said anything for a while. Here's the point. If Israel had not been in unity, those walls would not have come down. Jesus said in John 13, 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. He set the standard. We're to love one another as he has loved us. How often do we think about how much he has loved us? Some of you had the opportunity to watch Mel Gibson's The Passion of Christ. I was just reading a book, again, that, that uh, was loaned to me in regards to the politics that went on at that particular time between uh, the Pilate and uh, um, the Pharisees, Caiaphas, the high priest, and all their motivations. And, and how the Romans crucified people. It's very descriptive. 
how the Roman soldiers, when they had you pinned across the, uh, your arm pinned across, the Roman soldier would kneel on your arm so it wouldn't move. And then the guy who was going to put the five-inch sti- uh, spike through your wrist would try and find the place between the bones to pound the spike. And that's to say nothing of all he, Jesus went through prior to that. The scourging. How those claws would just rip into his skin and tear his skin away. The thorns on his head. Now you and I to a certain extent can relate to that, but you and I will never, never know what it was like for him to take on the sin of the world. Your sin and my sin. Have you ever thought about how much God really, really, really loves you and me? Paul says in Colossians 3.14, and beyond all these things, beyond what things? Well, in the previous verse, he says, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forgiveness. He says, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. It's a choice. But I don't want to. That's the problem. You know, we can pray, we can prophesy, God may grant you the ability to heal, if you will. But spiritual walls and marriages, families, and church will not come down unless we love one another. Because that creates a perfect bond of unity. And it's in the unity where the spiritual walls come down. And God demonstrates his power. He brings people into your midst. People that you thought, well, there's no hope for them. Yes, there is hope for them. God does extraordinary things in unity. The perfect bond of unity is love. Have you ever wondered what your moment will be like before the judgment seat of Christ? Now, I'm not talking about your salvation. You're in. I'm talking about what Paul talked about, that everyone must appear before the judgment seat of Christ to be compensated for what they have done, whether good or bad, whatever they've done in the body. Have you ever wondered about that moment? You're this close to it. It can be a good moment. In 1 John 16 through 17, John says this, And we have come to know and have believed the love that God has for us. Now here's the challenge. Have you really come to know? Have you really come to believe the, God, the, the love that God has for you and me? Do you really know it? Do you really believe it? You've got to think about it. good friend of mine says he wouldn't deer hunt. I, I don't think he's that interested in killing deer. But he saw the moon. Was, the moon had set. And he saw the beauty of that. Have you, have you looked at the sunrise in the morning? The red skies? Have you thought about your blessed just simply being here today and sitting in a soft chair? 
Have you thought about the friends that God has placed in your life? Have you thought about how much he really, really loves you? Have you come to know and believe the love that God has for us? God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. What a safe place to be. By this, love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. This word wouldn't be written unless it was possible. We can do it. Does that mean that we're going to be perfect? Absolutely not. It's what you do with the sin and mistake when it occurs. Jesus said in John 14, 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My question is, Where is it that you're not loving him? Who do you dislike? And because of that, you're not loving Jesus. Who is it that you're carrying an offense from? And because of that, you're not loving Jesus. You can be in a very safe place by abiding in his love. Well, I don't want to. That person hurt me. You don't understand. How can you say that when you understand what Jesus has done? There isn't anything that will ever happen to you that compares to what you and I did to Jesus on the cross. I don't want to. That's the problem. I've made reference to this book before. It's The Final Quest. And um, this man, Rick Joyner, had a dream or whatever where he's talking to the Lord. And it's very, very scriptural. And one of the people he talks about is a, a man called Angelo. Angelo, Angelo um, was being compared to somebody who... this to somebody who was born into a godly family, um, surrounded by godly people, became a minister and so forth. And there are thrones in heaven, according to this guy's vision. And in the midst of it, of course, is the throne of Jesus Christ. But there are thrones that, of people who are closer to that throne of Jesus Christ than others. And, and, and this Rick Joyner is saying, well, how could this pastor who grew up in this godly family be further away than, than Angelo? Now, Angelo had been born deaf. He was abused and kept in a dark, cold attic until he was found by the authorities when he was eight years old. He had been shifted from one institution to another where the abuse continued, and finally he was turned out on the streets. To overcome all of this, the Lord had only given him three portions of his love, but he had mustered every bit of it to fight the rage in his heart to keep from hurting the kitten. The kitten, I, I tell you that story. He was walking along the path and he saw this cat go along and he was going to kick it because he was angry. But because of the love, the little bit of love that he understood from God, he didn't kick it.
Angelo was so faithful with the little that had been given to him that God said, I gave him three more portions of my love. The point here is that when, when you love people, just like C.S. Lewis said, more, you get more love, you get more love, you get more love. But that love, he used all of that to quit stealing. He almost starved, but he refused to take anything that was not his. He bought his food with what he could make collecting bottles and occasionally finding someone who would let him do yard work. He could not hear, but he had learned to read, so I sent him a gospel tract. God sent him a gospel tract. As he read it, the Spirit opened his heart and he gave his life to God. I again doubled the portions of my love to him, and he faithfully used all of them. He wanted to share me with others, but he could not speak. Even though he lived in such poverty, he started spending over half of everything he made on gospel tracts to give out on street corners. The question was asked, well, how many did he lead? To you, God. And God said, one. I let him lead a dying alcoholic to me to encourage him. It encouraged him so much, he would have stood in that corner for many more years just to bring another soul to repentance. But all of heaven was entreating me to bring him here, and I too wanted him to receive his reward. He was faithful of all that he was given. He overcame all until he became like me, and he died a martyr. He overcame the world with my love, with his love. Very few have overcome so much with so little. Many of my people dwell in homes that kings would have envied just a century ago because of their conveniences, but do not appreciate them. Well, Angelo would so appreciate a cardboard box on a cold night that he would turn it into a glorious temple of my presence. He began to love everyone and everything. He would rejoice more over an apple than some of my people do over a great feast. Well, I've always been like that. I don't want to. That's the problem. You know, the Lord works in different ways. You know, Jerry and I went down to Little Rock and spent time with our son and daughter-in-law. Next week, I didn't really tell her this, but the Lord just started working on me. And he'll, you know, he does, does it in different ways. And I was very, very sensitive. I, mean, I was crying intermittently. It's like, you know, if I can't love my wife how, the way I'm supposed to, how can I love other people? And it's like the Lord said, you can do that with my help, with me working through you. We need to be strong and courageous to love. It's not easy to love. But who are you going to trust? Are we going to try God's ways or continue to rely on our own? can't emphasize this. There is a judgment seat. And the tears that God wipes away isn't because you had a hard life. It's because we didn't obey him where he's asking us to obey him. When we love one another, it's like multiplying love. It's like life has a dark veil. And when you love, it's like you put little pricks of holes in that dark veil. And streams of light become, come through those little... But the more you love, the more it multiplies. And soon, those little holes turn big, into a big enough hole where you see the face of God. And you begin to reflect him more and more and more and more. You see his face. You get to know God more and more and more and more. And his love permeates you to touch others. And that begins to dominate your atmosphere. 
God is going to bring unity to his church. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He will have a church that is unified. And he will do mighty things through that church. He will bring the lost in. If we will just surrender and love others as he has loved us. In Romans 8, Paul says, who will separate us from the love of God? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see how you can be a conqueror? It's not doing the world's thing. It's loving others as God has loved us with his love. We have to be strong and courageous in loving one another. Where God has planted you is where you're supposed to be and that's where you bear fruit. And love of God can dominate your atmosphere. God will have a unified church and he's going to have it here. Paul prayed a prayer in Ephesians 3.16. I'm going to do that for us right now. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen each of us according to your riches and glory of power through thy spirit in us. That Jesus Christ would dwell in our heart through faith. And we, being rooted and grounded in your love, may comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, the depth, to know the love of God, which surpasses human understanding, that we'd all be filled up with the fullness of God. If we abide in his love, we abide in God and he abides in us. We are filled up with the fullness of God. Father, I just pray your blessings on you today, Lord, that you would be blessed by each of us as we love as you have commanded us to. Holy Spirit, we need you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you dwell within us. That we're not alone in this. Fill us, Holy Spirit. Fill us with the nature of Christ. Come, Lord. Come, Jesus. Bless this people. Help us to be strong and courageous to love. Let your love abide mightily in our atmosphere. And bring the unity that you want, almighty God, for your glory and honor and power and praise forever and ever. To your name, Lord, we give you thanks. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day.